0: Welcome to Deal Lab, a corporate development and M&A podcast by Medaxo, where we examine the methods, theories, and stories behind the deal. In this episode, we keep it close to home and talk with our very own CEO, Ari Sloanen, where he shares the changes he has seen in M&A over the last 10 years and how COVID-19 has impacted the world of M&A. Thank you for joining me, and I uh, hope you're having a great week. Uh, my name is Jonathan Roulard. I'm a director of partnerships here at Medaxo. Uh, I'm joined by our CEO, Ari And Ari, thanks for joining us today, or joining me, rather. <laughs>
1: Thank you for inviting
0: me. Good to see Absolutely. To see you, Oh, very, very excited to speak with you. So, you know, really what we wanted to do today, Ari, is just, you know, get an understanding of how, how you've seen M&A grow o- over the course of your time here at Medaxo. So uh, one thing that I always love talking to you about is hearing your war stories and, and your experiences uh, in the M&A space. So I thought it would be really helpful for, for uh, folks to understand or have a better understanding of, you know, your background and really, you know, what led you to Medaxo. So.
1: My goodness, uh, I could be on my soapbox for that. But uh, in, in short, um, uh, because M- uh, miraxa was built to support the actual deal makers of the world, uh, to help them run a better, better M&A process, if you will, from beginning to end, and help them create more value. Uh, the genesis really is in um, in uh, two of our founders, Kaya, Katarina, and Kalle, who um, had first an experience in running M&A, seeing the pitfalls, issues, problems firsthand, but also seeing the solution in technology. And this is you know 10, 10 years ago now. Uh, I joined rather early as well um, with this sort of a baggage of early experiences. I did a lot of M and A consulting at McKinsey. I lost my hair doing that stuff, by the way, particularly <laughs> post merger integration. And I brought uh, also to the mix a, a bit of a, a practical experience on you know, what what this sort of ultimate solution might look like to support Mm the actual workers.
0: No, that, that's great, Ari. And I think that's what I always really enjoy talking to you about is some of your practical experience. So I know you spent obviously some time at McKinsey and obviously had some time uh, from a strategy perspective as well in a leadership role. When you think about your your deal execution uh, time at McKinsey and being in, the, and also your role in strategy, when you think about some of the, the, the headaches that you had, the, the things that kept you up at night, Ari, what were some of those areas that, that you'd be sitting, laying in bed, staring at the ceiling, at 2 a.m. thinking about.
1: No, no, great, great question. Um, <clears throat> I did a lot of post-merger integration support, um, large deals, smaller deals. Um, and what seemed to be common is that, um, uh, that the deal makers, meaning the pre-deal phase, was completely separate, uh, and the post-deal and the post-merger integration were completely separate as well, co- executed in silos. And um, almost like uh, the deals were thrown um, over, the, over the fence from the deal, deal maker side. And what then happened is um, a lot of the information collected in the evaluation and due diligence, in particular, uh, as well as issues identified, that then you know had impact on the integration. Say that there is an environmental hazard identified in the, in the in the due diligence process. All that information and uh, insights and you know, issues were oftentimes uh, fully or partially lost. Um, and when the integration team started, they has to essentially had to rediscover. Uh, the, the issues again understand what they were um, collect the material pertaining to those uh, because oftentimes the material in the PDL phase was put down in a, in a VDR and a, in a dvd and nobody knew where where, where it actually was um, so it delayed um the particular post major integration process caused you know obviously issues um uh, you know we would have avoided many many hassles and many of risks materializing had we had direct access and linkage to the information collected earlier in the process. So, mm-hmm. yes, and that kept me up at night um, quite a few times, actually working oftentimes, not sleep, even trying to sleep, but actually
0: working. Right, right. No, exactly, exactly. I think what's really interesting are in some of the conversations that you and I will uh, have quite often is around the pillars of value that Medaxo provides. And I think one of the pillars that you always speak to uh, and that you you just uh, kind of walked us through was the ability to ensure transparency and collaboration for all the internal and external stakeholders. One of the other areas that I find that in speaking with our clients across the globe and as well as our partners is the ability to drive. Of systematization within the process as well. Can you speak a little bit about to how important that is uh, in, in an MA practice and being able to create a repeatable process? How effective that can be?
1: Absolutely, and I think that's a. a you asked me what are the big changes that have have taken place over the, the past ten years or so. Uh, so I, I I've seen a lot of systematization. So these ideas from Six Sigma and other process management being implemented in a traditionally Almost like an apprenticeship type model uh, in, in corporate development, MA, uh, creating repeatability, uh, and sort of better run processes, if you want, um, because it's been uh, rather disjointed, siloed and disjointed, um, information being in a binder or somebody's Excel and and uh, these sort of processes being developed at heart. So it's very hard for new people to join and the processes to ever improve. And we have seen. A tremendous improvement in, in the mindset of trying to systematize and move more from the sort of art of MA to the, I guess, the science of MA, meaning systematization mm-hmm. through playbooks and and, uh, and other tools. And I guess the extreme example of that is um, uh, private equity firms that have really, um, over the past 10 years, uh, undertaken as a systematic or programmatic M&A, particularly for mm-hmm. their consolidation place. Where a portfolio company has a, a, a say a three years time to acquire and thirty companies and build their market share from two percent to ten uh, percent, um, and regarding M&A as a, as a as a tool to achieve these strategic objectives, but if I take a you know a step back and how we look at this sort of the M&A activity from um, uh, from a, a you know, top down perspective, one is that there's a lot of uh, ground floor activity that that we described transparency and you know, one source of truth and uh, uh, you know, managing tasks and reporting and so forth and that has to be efficient and effective and there's a lot of breakpoints in, in that um, that has been and the systematization addresses that and once you take care of the hygiene factors as i would say then you can start really focusing on the on the value creation aspect of m a the real reason why you' actually do mna so obviously a strategic objective. You aim to gain market entry to a new market or acquire new products for, for you to sell, or some other benefit while you're actually even thinking about them now. So enabling this sort of focus on the right things, creating the deal thesis, uh, looking at you know, building your pipeline, uh, running the deals, um, validating your deal thesis in, um, in post in the due diligence or or disproving it, if you will, and then planning and executing your post merger integration process in a way to capture the value you designed for the for the deal, rather than a lot of hygiene factors, if you will, that actually go into a due diligence in the post integration, but also really focused on how do I how do I um, get those synergies? How do I get those benefits that were part of the deal thesis to begin with? And the whole idea that we try to you know, uh, first foster is take care of the hygiene factors, take care of the systematization so that you can actually focus on creating value.
0: So what I think is really valuable in what you just mentioned, Ari, is oftentimes in the deal process, there are... For lack of a better term, there there there's noise that takes place, and by being able to uh, to to leverage a platform to drive agility and, and drive efficiencies, is also as a byproduct, we're able to cut out some of that that noise that uh, takes place during during the process of a of a of a deal. What I also wanted to to maybe get an idea of, um, you know, when you when you thought of uh, building a platform early on, what were some of the, some of the key items that, that you felt that a platform needed to to capture to maybe help drive that that process? I
1: think a fundamental point that I would would really highlight is uh, security because this initial fundamental objection to using any cloud-based type tools is how secure is my information in in, in the cloud. Particularly information that is so crucial to uh, companies, uh, their deal pipeline, their their targets, uh, uh, how they're thinking about their market and so forth. Information that would move markets, if you want. So foundational, this information security, uh, the building that bottom up in, in code, if you will but also having the organization build around security uh, iso um, compliance and other compliance um, taken very very seriously to come from, from the ground up and on top of that foundation you can then build know um, key elements obviously there's a <clears throat> uh, document storage you have one one place of you know, one uh, version if you will one source of truth then you have to manage stakeholders not only internal meaning who gets to see what but also how you invite how would you invite the seller you know in a friendly deal how you would work with a banker or a con- consultant or or a lawyer in running an efficient do, do, uh, due diligence uh, and' provisioning what they can do and see uh, in the platform and, the, and then the third element that i would would raise obviously is uh, is uh, the the recipe if you want that you can uh, embed your playbook into the platform and you can because that's that's part of the systematization Then you know exactly what steps are there who does what to whom what templates there are what are the best practices for certain steps of the process and you can plan it and you can run it and you can track it um in a, in a way that um that uh, you know you, you are transparent on what, what's going to happen uh, you are you have visibility into what what what, what has happened yeah and uh, you can make corrections um and it's web. Rep- Important for the playbook, obviously, is that not everyone can see your 2,000-step playbook, but it's provisioned in a way that you see on every you know, stakeholder sees whatever he or she needs to see. If it's a lawyer reviewing patents, they you know he or she may only see one one task, say, evaluate these patents and upload your conclusions. Um, so, uh, on, on, uh, so hence, it's where playbookification, orchestrating the whole thing is important. Um, so, security provisioning um, and and playbooks uh, to run on the platform. And there's a whole slew of other sets of functionality, but in my mind, those are the sort of key elements of building a great solution.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And what I find fascinating, Ari, is that those are elements that you thought about building a solution around you know, 10 years ago, for example. We're now sitting here in uh, 2021, in a highly focused remote workforce. And all of those same, same elements maintain true today. Those are all very important elements from what we hear with our clients, the ability to have broad visibility for teams that are decentralized right now, the ability to have an area that I know where to access my documents uh, when needed for either a discussion or for, for a due diligence uh, checklist item. Uh, and then to your point, hey, I'm not now spending my entire night building a report for tomorrow or being able to gain broader visibility into our pipeline. Um, so what, what I think is really interesting about the conversation that we're having, Ari, is that you outlined these items years ago, and you know, tell me, uh, are, are you surprised that they are as relevant today as they were to, to you 10 years ago?
1: Obviously, they are even more relevant with the work from home. Uh, it highlighted this sort of issue of, um, you know how, how you replicate water-cooled cooler talk. How do you say tacit information? How you run a process that has not really been documented, and you need tools tools for that. And Midaxo is, is a tool like that um, to run very you know, complex um, collaborative type, type efforts that are that are crucial to a company's success. Um, so in, in in fact, the the whole COVID situation um, accelerated adoption um and the and the best practice firms really embrace the um, you know uh, remote working even in these complex uh, complex uh, 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 activities like in the net um so they ring true today even more than they did earlier what has been a bit surprising is the this the uh, how slow the adoption has been that it's taken this long to, to um, uh, for the to change to take hold and oftentimes you know obviously Progress happens to catastrophes or or these were dramatic changes. And I think the the, the COVID pandemic was a catalyst for, for change. It was in e-commerce and m- many other areas as well, but it definitely catalyzed the adoption in our space and acceptance and awareness of, of tools to support this complex activity. Um, in, in fact, it's a uh, the corporate development and MA has been a bit of a Traditionally, in their approach, more of an apprenticeship model, meaning you join the team and you learn the ropes and you um, you know learn by doing and you know listening and, and being part of it. In a COVID environment, that's not that's no longer possible. You have to bring new team members in, have them be able to participate um, and you know, transparency, visibility, and you know, playbooks in, in, in the platform help help you with that because the newcomers will know here's how we do M and A. Here are the templates, here's the documents, here's the process, here are the stakeholders. So things become visible, uh, re- replacing that water cooler torque uh, and and pass it on.
0: That's that, that's great. And, and I would completely agree with you, Ari. I would say we even have some clients that would uh, really focus even harder on what they could get out of Medaxo over the course of the last uh, year or so. Um, so I know, there's, uh, I know there's plenty for you and I uh, to talk about. Uh, I think that's all the time that we have for our discussion today, but really looking forward to our next discussion. And, and I think there are a few more items that we can unpack here a bit further.
1: Thank you, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. We'll continue. Wonderful.
0: Thank you, Ari. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Deal Lab, a podcast by Midaxo, the complete software suite for M&A and corporate development. If you like what you heard, please support us by subscribing and leaving us a review. You can continue the conversation and look for updates by following Midaxo on LinkedIn or email us at deallab at midaxo.com. See you next time.